0: Welcome to the Healthy Love and Money podcast. If you find money to be the number one, two, or even third largest source of stress in your relationship, then you're in the right place. Going beyond how to budget, invest, and do your taxes, we're going to explore financial intimacy. Discover how to talk with your partner about your shared financial life. Let's take the awkward and painful out-of-money conversations. Join me and hit follow to listen to weekly inspiring, healing, and motivating interviews with financial therapists, couples therapists, and financial planners, and so many more. Let's go on the journey of financial intimacy together. Hello, healthy, love, and money couples. I am so excited to have Danielle Sauerkamp with us today from Well Spent Wealth Planning. Danielle and I go way back. I can't even remember how far back we go, but we've been dear friends for a long time. And so I'm so excited to have her here today because she has deep insight into working with people and their finances, especially from the financial planning perspective. She's done a lot of work in psychology study as well. And counseling. And so she definitely has a unique perspective amongst the field of financial planners. Danielle, welcome to the podcast. Can you go ahead and introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about you professionally, personally, let people know who you are.
1: Sure. Hey, thanks for having me. Adam. I'm so glad to be here. Um, yeah. So, you know, I'm a financial planner and i like to joke that I'm a mental health hobbyist. Uh, so <laughs> I have a little bit of education in that realm, but it's also just a big interest of mine. And, you know, part of it just came out of working with clients and seeing, you know, that, It's not all just numbers. It's not all just logic and common sense. You know, we make decisions based on how we feel about a whole host of things. And, you know, even financial planning, as much as it is about dollars and cents, it's also about priorities and goals and, you know, making things happen um, in our lives. And so our emotions have such a big impact on that, that it just seemed like a natural thing to start to explore what that looks like, bringing all those emotions into financial planning and understanding how to deal with that. So uh, I opened my business, Wealth spent Wealth Planning, about three years ago. I've been in the financial planning industry since about 2006. Uh, and I just love working with folks, um, on, you know, making their life what they want it to be living a life well spent as I like to say, and, you know, certainly helping them feel good about money, not just have, you know, the dollars they need in the bank to make it all happen.
0: That's such an important emphasis is that the feeling or the experience of money, right? You work in the wealth management world. So you have a number of clients that are either high income or high asset or high income and high asset but they don't always feel great with their finances, even though objectively they're probably doing pretty well. Why do you think that is?
1: I think there's a number of things. I think first of all, you know, I I have a hard time thinking of anyone who feels rich, no matter how much wealth they have. And so I think there's just like a uh, reality of, you know, we have our expenses and our lifestyle creep and the things that we want to take care of. And it just always seems like there's a little bit of stress on our resources, no matter uh, what level we're at. So that's part of it. And then I think there's also just, you know, all of the things that we bring from our life that we struggle with. In all the other areas of our life, they don't just disappear when we start dealing with money they seep in. So whether it's self-discipline or managing boundaries or communication or having control, feeling safe, fitting in, all of these things head right into the conversation around money. Uh, So all of those things can definitely affect, you know, sort of how we feel about our financial life, even if, you know, sort of the analysis tells us that we're okay.
0: You know, it's interesting. It really struck a chord for me when you said the feeling rich, like, and and I really, I took that literally and I was thinking about even my own experience and, you know, I didn't grow up rich. Um, I mean, solid blue collar family. So I think most would say not rich, financially stable, but it, it kind of raises this question of what are the sensations in our body when we're objectively rich? Like that, that feeling of being rich. And I think, you know, we can kind of project in our mind what it might feel like. Like, I don't know, what
1: would you say? Like freedom, flexibility, ease. Yeah, I would say control, kind of like not having to necessarily make tough choices. I think sometimes we'll think like, oh, everything will be just like an easy yes at that point. You know, we won't have to prioritize. We won't have to decide between things. You know, it'll the money will just be there.
0: Wow. You know, you just hit a huge nerve there for me. That's something that resonates pretty deeply is how did you say it, Danielle? I I won't have to worry about making a choice. You said it more, much more succinctly. What what was that?
1: I think just the money will just be there. You know, like we won't have to make the tough choices between things that we want.
0: Oh, we won't have to make the tough choices. I think that that may not have been what you said, but that is exactly right. I, I know in my own wealth journey, when my family, I've had that idea in my head. It's kind of been unconscious in a lot of ways. But it's like, well, now we're making this much money. I mean, literally just before I hopped on with you, Danielle, my wife sent me a text and said, Hey, Ed, can you sign the, the, our uh, tax documents? You know, Because we, we'd filed for the extension because of business ownership, blah, blah, blah. But I looked at the AGI and I just had this like, what the heck? how did, how, how was it so high? And so it's, you know, that like thinking that we're in this land of wealth, like we shouldn't have to worry about it and think about it much. It just really is a funny head game, isn't it?
1: It is. Yeah. I had a similar experience recently where I was reading about kind of like what the top 5% income level was. And I'm, you know, close to it or or maybe even in it this year. And it was like, what? That makes no sense. I can't be in the top 5% of income. It just doesn't feel that way necessarily. So, um, you know, I think even just the way we think about like the 1%, you know, it's an other, it's not us, it's an other, you know? So it, we just don't see ourselves in that category necessarily. Um, and I think the reality is, if you do think being wealthy is never having to make tough choices or that the money is always going to be there, there might be a few very unique examples of where that's true. But in most situations, no matter where you are, you have to make the the toughest decisions. And, you know, hopefully through, you know, the work that you do, Ed, and the work that I do, those decisions become less difficult. And they just become more about what's a priority in your life. Um, But, you know, It doesn't go away. And I don't think we all of a sudden, you know, no matter what we do, wake up and just think like, oh, I've made it. It's all easy from here."
0: You know, I think that's so valuable. And I'm having a moment of kind of self-consciousness as we're talking about this, as we're both talking about likely being in the top 5% of income, which, I mean, is surreal on one level. And then I had that. Well, even as I'm ta- talking about it with you, I'm feeling a little bit of like shame and embarrassment. Like, whoa, we can't talk about this publicly. Like, what are people going to think of me? And, you know, I already mentioned that I came from a blue collar family background. And, uh, I don't know if you feel comfortable sharing a little bit more about your financial background and how that shapes some of your understanding of your experience around wealth now.
1: Sure. Yeah. So I definitely grew up, I would say financial scarcity is, is a good way to describe it. So I definitely had, you know, experiences where the lights got turned off, where there wasn't food in the, in the pantry, you know, as much as you would want, all of those things. And, you know, that wasn't my experience my entire childhood, but I definitely had those moments. And so I think one of the things that I relate to is, as a financial planner or just as another human is the fear that can come from the idea of running out of money um and so you know i've got clients who we joke that we don't want them to ever have to start eating the cat food you know this is like the bag uh-huh. fear, but it's cat yes. food eat, it seems like um and so it, it's scary you know those are intense emotions uh, i've had them play out in my own life in many ways you know i had to really work on that before I was able to start my business. It's come up in my relationship, all of these things. And, um, you know, again, it wasn't just having money that made the fear of running out of money go away and it's probably never going to go away entirely. It's going to be there, but it's just, you know, being aware of it and then how do we handle that and how do we deal with it? Um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely one of those kind of intense experiences that we carry throughout our life. You know, you
0: highlight something that's so interesting is I've been thinking about in the last couple of weeks, even about, I used to think about extinguishing fear. Like, I just don't want to have that fear of not having enough money. But what I'm realizing more and more is it seems like it's more about working with when that fear comes up about not having enough. And I'm wondering if that's, you're coming to a similar conclusion at this point. It kind of sounds that way.
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, no matter what we have that triggers us, I think it's really difficult to just remove the trigger, right? You know, you could maybe lessen the impact of it, but it's probably always going to trigger you in some way. So it's just like, I, I can't remember the quote, but there's like, in between the moment of like, thinking and doing, there's this Super critical moment that we have to develop so that like, oh, I felt that money fear and I was aware enough of it that I didn't just go, you know, um, not spend any money for the entire month or whatever the case may be. So, <laughs> yeah. Let me catch it. That's like the best I can do, I think, is let me catch it when it comes up.
0: Let me catch it when it comes up. Well, and I, I think, you know, it's the more that I understand our, our nervous system and how that even gets wired around money. And realizing we don't have direct control over our nervous system per se, and so I guess if we perceive threats, uh, financial threats of money not being there, like you know, logging in and looking at your bank account, and then seeing a number less than you expected can be problematic. Now, I I guess really kind of on the other side as people are on their journey with wealth and income is uh, sometimes you log in and you see numbers far bigger than you realize, and that can paradoxically also trigger a fear response right
1: Mm -hmm. yeah or like you were saying you know that kind of sense of even shame or anything else that could come up guilt like all kinds of emotions can come up from the idea of having resources just as much as they can from running out of them so yeah i think both are really important. Um, And I know you and I have talked about kind of the idea of like a financial comfort zone and sort of, you know, feeling safest or the most familiar in the kind of income level uh, that you were raised in and that going out of that comfort zone, even if it's transitioning maybe from a lower income or asset level to a higher one, still feels like you're out of, out of that comfort zone, out of that normal safety place. Uh, So yeah, all kinds of feelings can come up from that.
0: So, I mean, in light of the fact that we are feeling based creatures and, you know, as a financial planner, I imagine, I know you work with some uh, women, women only, but also with couples, right? So, What do you see happening with couples? Where are they getting stuck talking about their finances? What are some of your favorite kind of activities or questions you like to ask them to help them keep moving forward?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, I think the tricky part is when we start to focus so much on the what and we forget to focus on the why. Uh, And so, you know, it's really easy to get into a disagreement about how to use money. Uh, But it's a lot easier to have conversations about why you might want to use money in a certain way. And so one of the things that I do with folks is we just have a, a conversation about values. So I give them you know, a pretty lengthy list of values and I ask them to sort of choose a few of them before we have our sort of lengthy goals conversation. Um, and we talk about that and we talk about it all together and I have them do it individually. And then we just sort of chat about how is that playing out in life right now? How do you want that to play out in life? And I think even just that conversation is really helpful because it transitions you away from the, oh, he just wants to spend money all the time or, oh, she just wants to save money all the time. And and then it becomes more about like, oh, we actually both want to send our kids to school. We both want to have you know leisure time together on the weekends and want to be able to take trips. And it, it gets away from sort of like these these um, arguments we might have about the specifics and kind of refocuses and says, well, I think we're maybe trying to achieve the same thing. We're just coming at it from different angles.
0: That's really powerful when you watch that happen with couples. So you help them, you give them a literal list of values and you have them kind of look over it and pick what, three, four five of their top values and their partner does the same and then you help them talk about it. Tell me a little bit more about this process. And why I'm asking is because, you know, in my program, The Couple's Guide to Financial Intimacy towards the tail end, that's one of the last big activities that I have them do is, you know, because financial planning, right? I think when they teach us to be financial planners, they help us kind of try to help people think through values, connect to goals, which connect to strategies, which connect to tactics. And it sounds like a lot of what you're saying is couples get stuck in the tactics, like, we should spend money here or we should do money here, but it can be really disconnected from their values. Is that right?
1: I think so. Yeah. And, you know, the, yeah, the values exercise, I think it's the Miller values exercise that I share with people. So it's a really long list. um, And I usually ask people to pick five or six and it's almost a challenge because the list is so long and there's, you know, lots of good things on there. You know, it's often like, I mean, I was going to pick friendship, but then I just couldn't make that fit in my top six, <laughs> so you know it's kind of a, a funny exercise in some ways, but um you know, I just don't think we stop to think about that kind of stuff very often, and so you know a lot of the idea of financial planning is kind of like putting the intention behind the actions that you're taking, so it makes sense at least in my mind to have some conversation about what those intentions are right at the beginning. Um, and I find it helpful to just have those value conversations just right at the top, just to start it on that kind of a good note. And then we get into you know more specifics when you want to retire, who are the important people in your life? You know, What was your experience growing up with money? All these questions that we kind of go through, not only for my benefit, but just for each other, just to hear some of that stuff that maybe they don't talk about that much.
0: So you're starting to get into, you know, and it's funny, I'm just listening to you. And this is, I think what I want listeners to know is financial planners, you you more or less start from the assumption that couples are able to collaborate and work together until proven otherwise. Is that fair to say?
1: I think so. Yeah.
0: And as a couples therapist, I start from the assumption of you're not able to work together until proven otherwise. Hmm. Like It's kind of looked at from the other side of things and probably by the nature of the different professions, right? And why people are coming to you versus me. But the, the truth is, couples are both on the same page and not on the same page, no matter whether they're meeting with a financial planner or a couples therapist. And so if you start with values, that's incredible. Or if you have to work through other past painful things that allow you to start talking about values, either way it can be really great. So we go from this values exercise in your process And then you start to ask them money history questions. Is that right?
1: Yeah. You know, some of it is money history. Some of it is, you know, looking forward about what they want to create or who they care about the most, just so that I can try to see the world the way that they do as best that I can. Um, But yeah, I always like to hear, you know, at least a little bit about how people grew up, because like we've been already talking about, you know, our history just you being blue collar, my kind of financial insecurity, like I see so clearly how that affects me. And so I want to be able to at least be aware of those kinds of things when I'm working with someone. So, um, you know, even just the way we talk about things or the way that we make decisions might be a little bit different depending on, you know, where someone's coming from. So I think it's important to talk about that. And just kind of understand, you know, who shaped your views about money? You know, what was that like for you? Those are pretty important questions and conversations to have.
0: So when you're asking those types of questions, what do you see happening for your clients? What do you see? I don't know if it's on their face or kind of like you can see light bulbs going off. What, tell me a little bit about what that experience is like from your perspective and then kind of what you, you hear from your clients as they take the time to go through those questions with you.
1: I really notice immediately like a vulnerability a lot. Uh, so it's definitely not like a light bulb moment necessarily, but it, it's hard for people to open up about this stuff. Um, it's, money first of all which none of us talk about right we're raised not to talk about money with people so uh it's already a little bit unusual and then talking about money within your family construct can be even more vulnerable um so i noticed that it's you know it it does sometimes strike people as a little bit uncomfortable to talk about these experiences which you know, in some ways I think means it's even more important that we have the conversation because we need to talk about this stuff. Um, But it's also just really interesting watching the other spouse as someone's talking about that and just listening and and kind of understanding where the other one came from. Um, And I don't really look for any aha moment in any of that right away. I just, for me, it's like, okay, let me understand how you're seeing things. What is likely to be like a sensitive point for you potentially or somewhere where we might need to dig in a little bit if we run into obstacles in the financial plan.
0: So Danielle, you're describing just this process of opening up money communication between couples and drawing them into a more reflective process where a lot of folks maybe haven't talked about the things that you're asking them. And you do watch a little bit of discomfort or distress come up for them, but then something starts to change for them. As maybe it's not in that particular meeting with them, but over the course of time that you're working with them. I mean, uh, my understanding, most financial planners are working with their clients over years, right? This is uh, not like, oh, I'm going to meet this one person, and then I'll never see them again. Is that Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I do work with all my clients on an ongoing basis. Uh, so yeah, it's not necessarily one of these like quick hits. We're going to knock this out. And you're not going to have that fear about money anymore or, you know, you've got all your goals planned for. So check, move on with life. Like it's definitely <laughs> an ongoing process. Um, and you know, a lot of it is just a function of life changing. So people get new jobs, people have kids, people's parents get sick, all kinds of stuff comes up that then we have to kind of recalibrate for. So from my perspective, it's just helpful to know as much as I can about what their worldview is, you know. What about these situations that come up in life are likely to maybe be a little bit more difficult for them based on how they've lived, you know, the things that they've gone through, or, you know, maybe there's an opportunity for me to support with, you know, additional conversation or a book or different skills and exercises that we can do to kind of nurture those things.
0: Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to the healthy love and money podcast. I'm honored that you spend time with me listening to these incredible interviews. I love working with individuals and couples around their financial life, integrating mental health and relational well-being. I'd love to personally invite you into my financial planning practice where I do therapy informed financial planning, bringing together mental health, relationship health, and financial well-being. If you're thinking that's the type of help you'd like, please see the show notes below to schedule your free 30-minute discovery call. And I'll look forward to seeing you and hearing more about your unique story and how I can best support you. Now, back to the show. So it's, it sounds like you spent a lot of energy and thought about getting to know your clients as people. And, you know, you, I think you said, I'm a mental health, what was it?
1: Hobbyist. Uh, <laughs> yeah.
0: Hobbyist, mental health hobbyist. I love that phrase. <laughs> and, you know, I think that that's it's a really beautiful gift uh, to your clients that that is part of your understanding of yourself and of your client's. And it's not necessarily about trying to be their therapist, but it is about creating a safe space to talk about that those things which are most vulnerable. Um, speaking of vulnerability, Danielle, if it's all right, you put in the show notes about you and your husband and the way you used to manage money and the way you manage money now. Is that mm-hmm. something you feel comfortable talking a little bit more about?
1: Yeah, sure. I'm happy to talk about it. Um, it's definitely been a, a shift over time and an evolving uh, you know, way that we do things. But yeah, when I think about kind of how we were when we were first together to where we are now, it's very, very different. And
0: can you describe for the listeners how it used to be when you were together early and, and where it's evolved towards?
1: Sure. Yeah. So I think what's um, helpful to know, well, I guess to begin with, like just functionally, like how did we manage our money when we were first together, you know, even before we were married? we had like a shared account where we'd put, you know, an equal amount of money for whatever shared bills we had. And then we would each keep whatever was left over for ourselves. So we had basically control over anything that was left over. And that was fine when we were, when we had parity in our earnings and, you know, some of those kinds of things, or it seemed fine, I guess I should say. Cause even, even then when it might have seemed fine, it maybe wasn't fine. So, you know, that worked for us for a while. Um, but especially as our income started to diverge a little bit. You know, it was like one of us had a lot more money left over than the other one. So it was starting to have this like power differential that was created because if I'm keeping all the leftover money over here and my income's higher, like, then I get to decide what we're gonna do with that theoretically, or are we gonna share that? You know, it just, it changed the dynamic a little bit when that started to happen. Um so you know that came up, uh, and the other piece that sort of came up was this sense of not ours like this this idea that maybe we weren't really sharing everything as a couple and as a team and as I think back on that i I now can see very you know why I was leaning that way, and my life experience growing up as my dad was married twice. He was divorced twice. Um, Both times there were complicated things related to money that happened with those divorces. And so one of the things that I took away from my childhood was love and money don't mix. You need to be super independent. Don't support anyone. and You don't get supported by anyone. Uh, And that's how we're going to handle it. Like that was my, you know, marching orders basically from growing up. And so that worked for me in the context of how we were managing money. Now, my husband, on the other hand, grew up with, uh, you know, more traditional husband, wife, husband worked, provided the income. His mom stayed home and took care of them. And she worked at times too, but it was a little bit more of that shared money, um, experience. And even though Mark's mom didn't work, you know, her, I'm sorry, work outside the home Her work inside the home was valued in a way that unpaid work was highly valued for them. So we were just coming at it from two totally different experiences. And so, um, I thought everything was fine, but I kind of kept hearing from my husband that it he wasn't feeling good about how we were doing things, and so eventually we just had to figure out how to do something different. Um, so that's kind of the framework and then I'm happy to share you know what we've done since then, but that's sort of what's built up to us needing to kind of think about doing making a change
0: that's huge, Danielle, and I really appreciate you sharing that and I want to be able to peel back the layers of this onion a little bit more with you, but you know what i want I'm curious about is you, you have that awareness now about what was driving those differences and some of the assumptions, but what was it always that way or was it just kind of like you were just kind of, um, I've heard the phrase like blind, blind passengers on a train where you were just doing your thing. You didn't even think about why you were doing it. You were just doing the money thing the way you thought everyone did it or should be done. Yeah. Is that the case?
1: I was definitely not aware of my feelings or like where they were coming from. I guess I would say the best awareness I had at the time was that the idea of doing it differently felt bad. It caused me distress, you know? So uh, that, we would argue about how we were going to do this. And I, I would get, you know, pretty emotional because uh-huh. it wasn't just coming from a place of all right, all all systems are created equally. Let's just pick one that you like and I like. It was, this is coming from something deep inside me. So I didn't understand that, but the reaction felt strong. So sometimes I think that is almost a great signal. If you have that feeling where you're like, I'm really pushing back against something, or I really feel staunchly that this is the way to do something. And you're getting that feedback from yourself can be a pretty good idea that maybe something's going on that you don't have your finger on yet. That's
0: huge and so valuable. So you're saying if you're having a strong reaction to a money dynamic with your partner, that's a good clue that there's something deeper that you need to get into and figure
1: out. Right. And that's what makes it hard to change too because it's not just, you know, no big deal. Like there might be these deep things that are affecting it. And so, and in some ways, if you think about, Like my experience, I was trying to do the best thing to avoid a problem. You know, I was trying to keep us safe. I thought subconsciously that was the way to do that. But what ended up happening is eventually we were able to have a conversation where I was able to understand that Mark didn't feel like we were a team and that we weren't living life together. And that, you know, there were all of these sort of negative consequences coming out of this system that I was totally blind to at the time. So in my mind, I'm thinking, well, I'm doing this so that we don't end up in a messy situation later. Or so I don't <laughs> want to dependent on another human or whatever. Uh-huh. So this makes total sense until I bring in the other pieces that I hadn't necessarily been aware of and then realize like, oh, okay, I'm meant good here. My intention was good. But I'm maybe not actually achieving what I'm hoping to achieve, after all.
0: Danielle, it's it's so incredible, and uh, having known you for so many years, and knowing that you've done a lot of your own introspective work and reading and reflection, your ability to articulate this story and, and your insight is is so phenomenal. And I, I hope people that are listening can hear this as not overwhelming, but as a as a north star, if you will, like. If you're not able to have kind of the insight and awareness that Danielle's just described, that's perfectly okay. That's that's why you're listening to this podcast, actually, and hopefully engaging in the couple's guide to financial intimacy. Or maybe you might even reach out to Danielle and say, hey, I'm really inspired by what you've said. Can you help me understand my money story a little better and what I'm doing and and how can I grow and change? Because, you know, it is getting that awareness and insight about why am I doing this. But then it's like engaging in the process of change, which is a whole nother level of depth that's really quite challenging. But, you know, I think the other thing that I, I heard there is the good intention. And so often when I'm working with couples in conflict, I, I'm trying to strike at that very point is how can we see that this might actually be coming from a good intention, even if it is being experienced as bad execution by the partner?
1: Right, yeah, exactly. It's like, and I think that's like we get back to the why piece. Um, you know, why are we doing this? And it is coming from a good place. And I think so many of the things that we kind of adopt from childhood, we don't necessarily even mean to. Like, we're just kids growing up in the world trying to figure out what the heck our role is, what we're supposed to do, how things work. And we have the experience of growing up in our families, and so we think. This is how men work and this is how women work and this is how people spend money and this is how people save money and all of these things. And then we go out into the world having taken whatever lessons we want to take from that, which I think usually fall into the category of I want to either be just like what I grew up with or, or I want to be nothing like what I grew up with. <laughs> so yes. we take a lane there and that's how we move forward and we try our best to build a life based on the experiences that we've had. And then we collide into someone else who we decide to be in a romantic relationship with who has their whole mess of hierarchy and decisions and stuff that's based on something totally, totally different. And so, I mean, frankly, it's a miracle any of us get through any of these conversations (laughs) without it being difficult because we're just coming from different places. So I think we're coming from that place of like, I went through what I needed to go through and this is what I learned from it. And sometimes those things just kind of rub the other person the wrong way because we didn't grow up the same way.
0: Absolutely. Well, I think that's a huge part of psychological growth, right? Is just even that awareness that someone's lived experiences set their expectations for how things should be. And when we're talking about specifically here, relationships and money, I know that that's been like one of the hardest parts of this whole journey for me is, even accepting that as a truth because for me when I started to, to think about the implications of like if that is true that experiences shape expectations, oh my god like that means I have to view my mom differently. that means I have to view my dad differently and and in some ways it it led to more favorable views and in some ways it left to led to less favorable views. And then it it extends out, you know, as a family therapist, we talk a lot about the multi-generational transmission process, which is, you know, grandparents parent one way, the kids internalize that, and then they take that, and then they parent the next way, and unless they've ever really reflected on it, I think to your point, and I hear this all the time from my clients, it's actually something I make a point of asking is, what are you trying to do that's exactly like your parents, and what are you trying to do that's the opposite of that? Mm -hmm. And because the reality for most of us, especially when we're in distress, those things are usually extremes. And there's some middle space between what we saw our parents do and what we're either reacting against or trying to maintain. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: So, I think that that's something really valuable that you're bringing forward too, Danielle, is if you're having strong reactions and you're reacting against what your family did or what you saw... Maybe that's a a bell of awareness to get curious about. Maybe there's some middle ground here that I haven't yet really considered.
1: Yeah, and I like to think about it as, like, the way that we make decisions, they're not wrong. I like to think of them as almost half-truths. You know, there's truth in why I might be a penny pincher because of how I grew up. You know, there's a reason I'm a saver. There's a reason I'm trying not to go back to that unsafe place. It's that other half of the equation that we forget to focus on because our personal experience didn't create a focus on it. My focus is on financial security. But there's another half of the equation of, yeah, but don't you want to enjoy your life? And don't you want to help other people? And don't you want to have all these other rewarding things that come from spending money so i'm not wrong i'm just not necessarily seeing the full picture i kind of have this i consider it a half truth like we we look at the parts of the argument that suit what we want to see and we just naturally kind of don't see the other half
0: (laughs) oh that's really so powerful right is it is that kind of we only see what we want to see and part of our growth and healing is being able to kind of see the other side of things and that's where working with a financial planner like yourself or a financial therapist really helps people i know it's been a tremendous help for me in my relationship with my wife is not not seeing how you know so many of my approaches were were true and were based on past experiences but they were you know i think as you said like half truths it's really powerful so now you and Mark, you know, you're many years down the road. You've been through your own therapy. It's I'm sorry, I'm saying that. I'm kind of mentioning it. That's the that challenge. I know so much background <laughs> about you. Yeah. I want to protect your privacy, but um, you've done a lot of your own work, Danielle. And as you two are at this place now, what is it like to be more financially balanced and all in together?
1: Yeah, but I'm glad you asked that because it has made things a lot easier. It's really difficult for me to give up on that whole like sense of independence and all of that um, because of my experience. But we had, what we ended up doing was we threw it all in the pot together. Uh, so we, we still have a little bit of mad money for ourselves to go have, you know, a little bit of control um, independently and autonomy, but we, for the most part, it all goes in the kitty together now. Um, and I think that's just been, Really helpful, even just to solidify like our commitment to our relationship. Like we're in this together, you know, and, and that was a big piece that I think Mark didn't feel like at, at first the way we had it before. So we definitely kind of have that additional closeness. Um, I think we're doing a little bit better job of you know, jointly deciding how mon- money gets spent. So again, like the way it was before, it almost became more unilateral decision-making. Now it's, you know, more seen as our money and we have conversations about how to spend and all of that. Uh, so it's brought us closer in that way. And I think maybe more importantly, it took down a barrier to that closeness that maybe I didn't even realize was there, but it was there for for Mark.
0: Sometimes I'll call those those invisible walls. Like we don't even see them th- there, but until we take a, dif- there's kind of a line in the sand, and it sounds like for the two of you, you hit this point where it's like, all right, we got to do this. We got to just cross over this, through this barrier, through this invisible wall, and we got to put all the money in one pot. Or you know, it sounds like you keep just a little bit to the side where there's complete discretion for you to do whatever you want. But that that's a big step forward, and I, and I imagine just getting all that money in the same place, under the same names. What was that like for you, Daniel? Can you take us back there and like that day that you saw all the money together?
1: It stressed me out, you know, it took me a while. Basically like from the point where I finally got that information from Mark on why he cared about this so much. That was like the first time I started realizing like maybe I need to try to change. So that's when I started to kind of reflect and think back. Why was I having such a struggle with this? Coincidentally, I was taking financial psychology courses at the time. So I got to use that as a way to (laughs) educate myself. Um, And so, you know, I reflected on it and then kind of came back and we had the decision to move it together. But even for a few months after that, I had stressful times, you know, that was that was a big shift for me. And even though I had decided that was the right shift, it didn't make it easy in all moments. It took, you know, a while for me to get comfortable with that and to feel like, you know, I still was safe. I still, you know, was going to be okay. There were good reasons for me to do this. Um, So yeah, it definitely didn't just overnight, you know, become this easy decision. And there were times where I felt like, don't you appreciate how hard this is for me that I've done this? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, so, and that's sometimes too. Like our partners don't always realize how difficult something might be for us to to change or for us to do because we have these different experiences. But yeah, I mean, this has been years later now, and I, I really don't have any regrets about making that shift. I think it was ultimately good, and it is definitely one of those experiences that I look to when I think about how. Uh, just our, our lives affect our financial decisions and that they aren't just all purely rational.
0: No, they're, they're emotional before they're rational, if anything, at mm-hmm. least from my, my experience. Yes. But, you know, I think there was that kind of, as you are sharing this last part of the story is, why don't you, do you see how hard this is for me? Do you really understand me? And that, that question of, you know, to me, that strikes the, at the cord of financial empathy is can our partners really step into our money story and see where we've been coming from and acknowledge that. And that's really part of that process of fostering financial intimacy. So it's not just about you understanding your partner and where he's coming from and why getting everything in one bucket is so important, but for him to really be able to hear your story and, and see the logic behind the way that you had organized things. And, you know, with your, you mentioned something about your father going through two marriages and two divorces with some, particularly challenging money dynamics. And, you know, once you hear that story and then blend it with the behavior, all of a sudden it makes a lot more sense, doesn't it?
1: Mm -hmm. That's good.
0: (sighs) Uh, You know, I'll
1: draw that logic to some, you know, that's what I always like. I, I always encourage people, even if you're trying to develop the idea of the other half of the truth. I think the first part of that is always looking at how, what you're doing now serves you. You know, just to validate that there's a reason you're doing it.
0: So, and I, I, kind of picking up on that, there is no irrational behavior,
1: right? I don't think there's purely irrational behavior, no. I think, you know, sometimes our logic can be a little flawed, but ultimately, there's something at the core uh, pain you're trying to avoid, a joy you're trying to achieve, whatever it is that flows through to what you're doing. It might not be the way that everybody else would respond and react. And it might not even be the desirable way that you want to act, but there's a thread there.
0: You just said something that's so beautiful. Is it there's either a pain you're trying to avoid or a joy you're trying to pursue. Right. And so, yeah, I think when we can look at it it that way and then you have the kind of the maturity and the safety to reflect on, is this the best way to, to work with that pain or pur- pursue that joy? That's where real kind of transformation is at, right?
1: Yeah, I think so. And maybe opening up our minds to how we solve that problem. You know, how we've adapted behavior to try to address this problem, but I'm sure as we see in all other areas of life, like the, the system we developed when we were kids might have served us and it might have been the only thing we had to cling to for so long, but then at some point it stops serving us or it's not serving us the way that we want to. So, yeah, just opening up to maybe there are some other techniques that might spare you the pain or get you the joy that are a little more uncomfortable or a lot more uncomfortable right now, but can ultimately get you to what you want, maybe even in a less conflict ridden way
0: which is i think the big goal right is as we kind of bring this interview to a close that's the big goal is how do we live life more peacefully more intimately connected with our partners and that those are ongoing questions like it's not a a final destination per se but a ongoing process of inquiry and growth and development and it's it's both within ourselves and with our partner and back and forth and while, you know, at least I would love to give an exact prescription of do it this much percentage this way and this much percentage this way. you got to kind of feel your way through this, don't you think? I think so.
1: Yeah. and And I think in a lot of ways, even if you're working on something in your relationship with someone else, it's ultimately a relationship with yourself. So it's so much self-reflection and. That's hard. It's hard to take the time to really think about why we do the things we do, especially with money. I mean, who's got the time for this stuff, but it's really important. So yeah, I mean, just kind of tying it back or even like, sometimes I'll just recommend if you're watching TV or watching a movie, you know, like just think about like, what, why is the character doing that? You know, just find those little opportunities for reflection, whether it's yourself or whether it's somebody else, just thinking more deeply about what drives financial decisions.
0: I love that. So Daniel, if someone wanted to connect with you, pursue your financial planning uh, process, what's the best way for them to get connected with you?
1: They can go to my website, wellspentplanning.com, and they can reach out or schedule a meeting with me there. Um, I'm on Twitter, DCIRCAMP CFP, also on LinkedIn. Yeah, or just yeah, find me on the web, give me a call, send me an email, be happy to chat with anybody.
0: Wow, that's incredible. And, you know, if you didn't catch that, I'll have it in the show notes so you can easily find Danielle. Uh, Danielle, thank you for the work that you do with your clients and you taking the bold journey of your own financial work. I know that that's really what allows you to show up for your clients in such a powerful way. And uh, we'll look forward to doing another interview uh, in the future.
1: Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure.
0: Yeah, take care. Bye bye. I invite you now to stop for 5 or 10 minutes and reflect on what you just heard. Maybe even journal about it. Give yourself the time to consider what you just heard and what it means to you. By giving yourself the time to reflect and integrate what you just heard, it will help you along your journey of learning, healing, and growing towards financial intimacy in your life. Please like and follow this podcast and share with someone that would benefit from being on the journey of financial intimacy. Wishing you healthy love and money, Ed.